This is 105.9 The Region, and you're listening to Discovery, the radio show for podcasters. Your content, unfiltered. This is Discovery. Hello, and welcome to Discovery, a show that samples podcasts to bring you interesting and unique perspectives on a truly wide range of topics. I'm Cal Steiger, and this week we are going to hear from two podcasters, one a full length and the second an introduction for a podcast we will have next week. A Patient Story shares the experience of a mother and daughter who are both faced with health challenges, a need for care, and an aging health care facility. Told by Peace Arc Hospital in White Rock, BC, you will hear of a situation that is challenging all around, but solved through caring. But first up, we have an entry that deals with a business issue, branding and customer relationship building. Over the past few months, we have been sampling a series called Deep Dive from Coldwater Communications. In this series, experts demystify the world of public relations and shed a light on the challenges and opportunity. In prior episodes, we examined the role of PR in building trust and the ethics of the PR profession. By popular demand, this week we are presenting a third publication that deals with the media relationships and how PR helps media at all levels. And if you are putting out PR releases, provide some helpful hints on how to break through the cluttered inbox of writers, broadcasters, and digital content producers to get them to share your message. Navigating a public image can be challenging. Whether you're building a brand, rebuilding your reputation, or just trying to get on the radar, you need the public to trust you. But does the public trust anyone anymore? And has it ever trusted public relations? Welcome to Deep Dive, powered by Coldwater Communications. I'm your host, Tamara Stanners. Relationships are difficult. There's going to be ups and downs. Good communication makes for healthy relationships. It's not what you say, it's how you say it. The family of communications. Media. Media relations, PR, marketing. If you're going to build a house, you don't just use one tool. You use many tools. And that is called strategic communication. Like any relationship, the link between public relations and the media has its ups and downs. Undoubtedly, PR practitioners rely heavily on the media to tell stories and get their messages out to the public. PR people have, or should have, a deep respect for the media. But is the feeling mutual? What do members of the media really think about PR professionals? Breaking news. Threats are out in the open. A state of emergency. We begin tonight with breaking news. Police are investigating all the info coming your way. Reporters are constantly in search of compelling stories that serve the public interest. An average person consumes between 10,000 and 20,000 news stories a year. And PR professionals have plenty such stories to push. But here's the rub. PR views the media as a partner, but the media doesn't usually see it the same way. Here to share her views on PR is Marsha Lederman, former Western arts correspondent at The Globe and Mail, and now full-time columnist with the Opinion Team. Thank you so much for being here, Marsha. I'm super excited to have you. Let's dive in. Marsha, what is your personal view on public relations agencies and their role in the business of news? Oh, well, it's huge. It's extremely helpful, even just from a like a basic logistical point of view because uh, publicists, which I'm going to include in the public relations world, send me information about things that are happening. And if you're writing about the arts, you need to know about things that are happening. And it's a lot easier when it comes into your inbox than me having to go searching for it 
on websites that I'm aware of, uh, you know, for galleries or uh, theater companies or what have you. And then there are other places that I might not be aware of. So it's great to have that even very basic information come to me. This show is opening on this day at this place, and this is what it's about, whether it's theater, visual art, um, music, etc. So even on that very basic level, your industry has helped me a lot in doing my job. What would your world look like without PR practitioners in it? Uh, well, my inbox would be a lot thinner. I, I'll tell you that. I'd spend a lot less time sifting through emails. But as I say, those emails are extremely helpful and um, full of information. And that's great. So what would my life look like? I guess it would be more time looking around for ideas. Although ideas are have never been a problem for me. I, I have a lot, but it really is helpful, as I say, just to get that basic info, what's going on. So I'd have to spend more time, I guess, trying to figure out what was going on in the arts world. When a PR pitch winds up in your inbox, what's the process that you go through in deciding whether or not it's worth pursuing? Sometimes a quick glance will tell me that it's not for me because I write about the arts. And if someone is sending me something about a new bathtub design you know, I don't know, a new innovation in the world of basketball or something. I know it's not for me. That does happen sometimes. So I'm not even going to read the whole thing. I, I'll delete it. If it's relevant at first glance, I'll read it through as long as it's not too, too long and decide if it's a kind of story that might be a good fit for our readers and for me. And that said, there are a lot of stories that are a great fit for our readers and that I'm interested in. There's only so much time that I have. There's only so much space in the globe world because every piece of copy, every story has to be handled by editors as well. So our resources are not infinite. So I don't necessarily have time to write about every story that I'm interested in. So I'll look at, am I interested in it? And then there's also the other factors, like what does my life look like right now? What does my schedule look like? Is it the fall festival crunch time when we've got film festivals, writers' festivals, operas opening, symphony season starting, etc.? Then it gets a little harder to find time to do stuff. And then... If it's something that speaks directly to me, let's say it's a PR practitioner who writes about something they know I'm interested in or something I've written about before, they might say, I know you've written about climate change in museums and how it, this is going to affect museums and how museums are dealing with it. I've got this amazing exhibition coming up at this museum about that very topic and you haven't written about this and it's a new artist evolved, etc. Of course, that's going to catch my eye because it is something I'm interested in. It's something I've written about before. It's something that's really important that our readers have connected with and obviously this person who has sent me this pitch has been reading my work and knows what I am into. And that's a bonus. There are pitches that come into my inbox that I say, oh my gosh, I have to write this story and I will move heaven and earth. Even if I don't have time, I'll write it off the side of my desk, which I do all the time because it's a story I really care about or that I think our readers will really care about. Off the top of my head, a mask 
an indigenous mask being repatriated to a BC First Nation. I can't remember where the pitch came from, but that's the kind of thing that I absolutely would take notice of, that I would want to do. It doesn't necessarily have to be someone I know or someone who remarks on my work. And in fact, maybe they didn't remark on my work, but they've noticed that I have written about repatriation of Indigenous objects and remains, and that it is something that is very important to me. Another, it's been a while, but there was someone who worked as the publicist for a major art gallery who used to tailor their pitches to me and to the Globe and Mail, saying, I think this angle on this show for the Globe and Mail would be a great fit. So I know that she's pitching it to, you know, probably 30 places, but she's made the time to come up with an angle on the same story, the same show, but that would really work for the globe, for a national audience or whatever. That kind of thing absolutely helps. I know that everyone's busy. I know that PR practitioners are busy and they don't have time to craft 30 individual pitches, I'm sure. But if you can pick a few publications or websites that you really want to target and try to come up with something that is specific to them, maybe exclusive to them, that really helps. Exclusives. Okay. They're another thing. If someone's going to offer me a story that I'm going to have before other publications, other websites, that's always exciting to be offered. In your opinion, how could PR professionals better support the media? How could they improve at their jobs by making your life easier? Make my life easier? Could you give me a hundred grand, please, and go on a trip and buy a car that doesn't break down every... No, I'm kidding. We don't even accept such things. That's We do not accept any sort of graft, nothing like that. What could you do? Well, help us tell the story that's true and accurate and... Don't skirt the truth. We are truth tellers. That's our job. So help us do that. If you're trying to get us not to do that, it's bad for everyone. Tailoring those pitches, as I was just talking about, that really, really helps. If you work with a publicist who is good at finding an angle that is really specific and targeted to Globe readers, that makes it easier for me. Understand our needs and how we work. Like, if we say we're on a deadline, we really are. It's not like I have two weeks to get this answer. I need it in the next 20 minutes, possibly. And give me the information, as much information as you can. Facts and figures, stats, frequently asked questions, stuff like that. Having it laid out for me, it just makes things easier when you need to go and find something like, oh, how many people attended the um, opera season last year? Oh, it's right there on that piece of paper. I don't have to rely on a, another source and I don't have to make a call or ask. It's right there. That is super helpful. I know it's not always possible, but that kind of stuff, backgrounders are great. Okay. From your vantage point, how could PR professionals improve their pitches? Don't make it too long. Time is limited. Get to the point quickly. I'm sure you're a great writer, but you don't need to be too florid or too descriptive. Tell me what the story is, tell me why it would work, and tell me quickly. Tell me who's available to talk. That's really helpful. I might go with your person or I might go with other people in addition to that person that you're offering. And this isn't really about making my life easier. 
but get it right. Like get my name right, get my publication right. I've been pitched stuff for the Vancouver Sun many times. I don't work for the Vancouver Sun. I never have, you know, that kind of thing. But if I see that, I might roll my eyes. (laughs) It's often, in most cases, a very honest mistake. Someone is sending this email out to many people and they forgot to change Vancouver Sun to Globe and Mail. I get it. But it's still a little annoying. So George Orwell said, news is what somebody does not want you to print. All the rest is public relations. Do you agree with that? No, absolutely not. Especially writing about the arts. I write a lot of stories that are good, happy stories. A lot of stories that are super interesting, that aren't bad news, that someone doesn't want out there. They don't always come from a publicist. In fact, probably a lot of the time they don't, but some of them do. So absolutely, I do not agree with that. At the same time, if, you know, I'm writing a story that does have a few, you know, the possibility for controversy and a few different uh, points of view, etc. If the PR firm comes back and says, oh, great story. That was amazing. Sometimes you do wonder, oh, did I do that story justice? Not to say that we don't love to hear you did a great job on telling that story. It's lovely. But you <laughs> don't want to just be presenting the PR firm's point of view. That might make you wonder, oh, did I really tell that story the way it should be told? Is PR always fundamentally at odds with the job that journalists are trying to do? In the arts, definitely not. You know, you're telling me about stuff that I want to write about. But there is a distinction. We're not on the same team. You are providing me with story ideas and information and maybe someone to talk to, and that's fantastic. But my job is not to promote your show. There was very early in my time in Vancouver, I was a panelist at a conference for people who work in theater. And I remember being on the stage and being kind of lambasted for not promoting their plays enough or properly or whatever. I mean, it'd be funny to look at the amount of attention their plays got then versus now, and not just by the Globe and Mail, but in the arts reporter landscape. But, you know, it's not my job to promote your play. I'm sorry. It's just not. You can buy an ad for that if you want in the Globe and Mail. You can suggest a story to me that I will write about if I can and if I think it's worthy and everything else falls into place. But my job is to serve my readers. My job is to serve the Globe and Mail and the readers of the Globe and Mail who want information, a good story, they want to be informed and entertained. My job is not to tell them that your play is opening next week. How has the internet and social media disruption affected journalists and their ability to do their jobs? Has it helped? Has it hindered both? It's both. It's helped and it has hindered. I get a lot of ideas from social media. I get a lot of information from social media. You get plugged into debates that you might not know are happening. So, you know, I can see a raging debate on Facebook or Twitter and I think, oh, looks like people are upset about this, something's going on, this might be something I'd like to write about. And I have countless times gotten story ideas that way. It also helps me to promote my stories once I've written them. I don't tweet out every single story I've written. I don't put every story I've written on Facebook, 
for the most part, I do tweet out my stories and I put some stories on my Facebook feed, which is much more personal. It's like people want to see pictures of my kid. They might not want to read what I've written. So it helps to promote. It helps to bring story ideas. But at the same time, there is a lot of information coming out at us now and it's hard to sift through. It can be overwhelming and it can be really difficult because people have been frankly abusive to me on social media and to many other journalists. I'm, I'm not sure I can think of a journalist who hasn't been abused in some way with horrible words, etc., either publicly or in a private message. But it's often public and it's really gross and nasty, mean, at times, like absolutely threatening. And that stuff can be hard to take. There's always been hate mail, but it hasn't been that easy to write or send or that public. And that is how it is now. So that's really hard. It's also really distracting. There was a time when I was locked out of Twitter, not because of anything I did, but because I think I got a password wrong. And it was then that I realized how often I was checking Twitter. It was ridiculous how often I was checking it. And I had to sit myself down and have a talk with myself about, is this helping me? Is this actually, or is this becoming like an addiction? So I do find it really distracting. Sometimes I just have to close it on my computer. It's up almost all the time and I check it far too frequently. I mean, TikTok is another aspect of that. My son who's 13 is uh, on TikTok a lot. He'll come downstairs in the morning and he'll tell me something that he's seen on TikTok and I'll roll my eyes and say, oh, please, that's not true. And you know what? A few hours later, everyone else is following it up. So that's really interesting to me that stuff is breaking on TikTok and making it harder for PR people. Imagine what it's doing to journalists and look at what it's done to journalism. I've been a Globe and Mail arts journalist for 15 years. And when I started, I had a lot larger peer group. There are a lot of other arts reporters. There are very few of us now. And it's easy for anyone to put their story out there now. It's a whole different world. It's also, there's a lot less in terms of advertising dollars coming in. So that hurts publications, organizations' ability to pay salaries for journalists who are doing this work. Also, there's an expectation among the public, especially younger people, that the work you do, journalism, should be free. And a lot of complaints about paywalls. But, you know, someone's paying me to do this job and write this story. There's an expectation that you should have to pay for it, too. This Example has been overused, but you don't walk into a Starbucks and demand a free coffee. You have to pay for it. How can PR practitioners help you navigate this disruption? In one way, by standing out with really good ideas and proposals and developing a relationship in some cases where I know, like, I'm going to trust when Theo comes to me with this idea. She knows it's for me and it will be great for Globe readers. And it's like, primo. Um, So there's that. Also, maybe not bombard us with requests and follow-ups. If I haven't responded to your four pitches, I'm probably not interested in writing the story, but I just haven't had time to write back. I mean, there are exceptions to that, but really, I don't need four follow-ups. Please, no. I once saw 
a publicist, I sort of knew, complain on Facebook about not getting an answer on uh, some pitch from arts journalists. I think it was a music story. And I think I even responded by saying, I'm not sure you understand how overwhelming our email situation is. Like we get so many pitches all the time. It is impossible to respond to each one. Or even if it was possible, I'd be spending, you know, half my day doing that and not writing the story that I'm being paid to write. And I have thought a few times, and in fact, I did this at one point at CBC when I was an arts reporter there. I had an automatic reply saying, I get a lot of email. I might not get back to you. And if I don't, it's because I probably can't accept your pitch. I've really tried not to do that at the Globe, and I haven't, but I've been tempted to quite a few times because it's astonishing how much email we get. And I do often respond if I know the person personally and well who's pitching me, but I can't do it every time. It's just, it's just not possible. And also, I guess the other thing is to have some understanding that we can't respond to every email, we can't write every story, and our job, as I've said earlier, is not to promote your play, but to write a good story for our readers. What is the number one thing you want PR people to know, either about what you do, about the relationship between media and PR, or something that would make your life easier? Okay, there was a time once when the Globe had a scoop about something, and I went to the organization that it was about to get their comment. And what they did was... (laughs) They did give us the comment. I got a whole interview, but they also told our competitor about this scoop and gave them the information. And I never forgot that. It was so unprofessional. It was so wrong. So don't do that. It's not like it happens a lot, but it happened a long time ago and I have never forgotten it. So be (laughs) trustworthy, be ethical. One time there was a publicist who was like feeding me information about something, but making it look like she was doing it out of the goodness of her heart because she wanted me to really know the score. But I found out later that she was being paid by the person she was telling me good things about and that was not disclosed to me that kind of thing is just do not do that that is bad it will come back to haunt you we're not stupid we'll figure it out be understanding as well making a snarky remark about a story after it's printed might feel good at the moment but i don't think it serves you or your client if i've made a mistake absolutely tell me. I want to know if I've made a mistake. Heaven forbid, I hate making mistakes, but of course it happens. But don't say, oh, I can't believe you didn't like that dress. That dress was fantastic. Everyone else loved that dress. It's just not necessary. And know what you're dealing with. An organization called me up and said, you know, I was really surprised. Someone said, Marsha wrote a negative article about us and I, I couldn't believe it. And your expectations need to be in check. I'm not your friend. I am here to do a job. My job is to inform our readers. And if your organization is having trouble, even if I've written a nice story about your organization before, I'm going to report on that. That is my job. So keep your expectations in check. This has been such an informative conversation, Marsha. Thank you so much for your willingness to share your insight into public relations and all of your experiences with us. 
And now that we have a better idea of how the media sees its relationship with PR, it's time to examine the ever-changing realm we both operate in. What does the future of the media look like? And what does that mean for public relations? We'll immerse ourselves in that topic on the next episode of Deep Dive. Subscribe to Deep Dive for new episodes every month. For more information and social pages, visit coldwater-communications.ca. Next up, a preview of podcasts for next week, A Patient Story. My MRR took place in the middle of the night. I got the phone call in the morning. The news is something that I'll never really forget. Uh, Honestly, I was in shock. These types of moments stay with you forever, but you can never quite replicate the feeling that you experience in that moment. On the next episode of The Power to Heal, we'll explore the harrowing experience of 27-year-old Logan as she endures lengthy waits for medical imaging scans that will hopefully reveal the mysterious ailment that afflicts her. The problem? Old and outdated imaging equipment at the hospital has created a backlog of urgently needed scans. I was told that long wait lists were present in our community and somebody my age couldn't possibly be met with a condition that was serious enough to warrant such diagnostic procedures when our local healthcare system was already overloaded with such critical cases. For Logan, everything comes to a head with an early morning phone call from her doctor. Hearing the words, are you sitting down, was scary. My world stopped. Things quickly go from bad to worse for Logan when her primary caregiver, her mom Carrie, suddenly finds herself on an imaging wait list too when her Crohn's disease flares up. It just felt like one bad thing after another. Having Crohn's disease can be challenging and coupling this with uh, suppressed anxiety and the stress during Logan's surgery, her recuperating took its toll on my own health. As Logan and her mom discover, even the most talented and dedicated healthcare teams can become hamstrung by equipment breakdowns caused by age and excessive use. The answer is newer technology and more of it. But imaging equipment is prohibitively expensive for an already stretched hospital budget. Meanwhile, Logan and Carrie have to look for help at another more modern facility. There really is no comparison between the two experiences. Peace Arch Hospital is our hospital. It's where I work and I want to be able to be proud of the equipment that we have there, but it's night and day. Join us for the next episode of The Power to Heal, presented by Peace Arch Hospital Foundation in White Rock, British Columbia. We'll take you behind the scenes as the foundation finds new and sometimes surprising ways to engage with the local community and help fund the best healthcare possible in the region. You can download The Power to Heal wherever you get your favorite podcasts. That's it for this week. If you missed any part of this broadcast, you may go to our website and click on Discovery in our program schedule to listen again. Or you can find us wherever you download your favorite podcasts. Until next Saturday, have a good week. I'm Cal Steiger for Discovery on 105.9 The Region. Discovery, the radio show for podcasters, exclusive to 105.9 The Region. Expand your audience and extend your reach. Send us your podcast, info at 1059theregion.com.